everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Valtazor. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Farmageddon Week, the rivalry that should have been protected, but won't be. So enjoy it while it happens, unless, you know, the both the athletic departments decide to pull some shaboingery, but I don't see that happening. But... For this year, we are it's just another year to enjoy it, this time in Bill Snyder Family Stadium in what appears to be, Connor, I know that you're holding out hope, it could be, it might be, a snow game. It might just be. Uh, as of today, it looks like it will be. I have long wanted to attend an in-person snow game, because uh, uh, I've always felt like when I was younger, uh, some of the coolest k-state highlights were from the end of the uh, i think it's the 2000 nebraska game uh where it started to snow pretty heavily so i'm hoping that we can uh get a similar looking environment uh for this game against iowa state because i've not had the opportunity to attend a k-state game in the snow so i mean it'll be really cold but i don't care <laughs> yeah. i want to i want to do it at least once <laughs> yeah so we're not going to go over the 2022 stats because they're borderline a completely different team from last year. I say borderline, they are. But we can go over who they lost and who they added, starting off with who they added slash kept, and that's Connor's side right now. Yeah, so they keep uh, Cartevius Norton, uh, their second leading rusher from last year, uh, Jalen Knoll, their second leading receiver, Deshaun Hanika, their starting tight end, uh, Gary Vaughn, their tackle lead, TJ Tampa at safety, second in interceptions. And then they added Arlen Harris, running back from Stanford, and then uh, Zachary Lovett, a linebacker from Mizzou. So those are their returners and ads. Yeah, and uh, TJ Tampa moved to corner this year uh, after playing safety a few years ago. But in terms of losses, they lost Will McDonald, who's their leading defensive end. He was a first-rounder to the Jets. We watched that happen, was very confused. Uh, Xavier Hutchinson was a six-rounder to the Jets. Anthony Johnson was a seventh-rounder to the Packers, who was a defensive back. MJ Anderson, who was a defensive end, was an undrafted guy to the Seahawks. Colby Reader didn't get picked up by anyone, weirdly enough. He was a linebacker. He just graduated. Then, of course, they lost uh, former K-State target Hunter Deo, who ended up transferring to Bowling Green. So, you lose a lot of your star power, I would say, when you lose Will McDonald uh, Anthony Johnson, Xavier Hutchinson. But full disclosure, we expected this team to be really bad at the beginning of this year. And uh, as much as this, you know, credit where credit's due, Matt Campbell did a, this is arguably Matt Campbell's best true coaching job, and it's leading this team so far to a 6-5 and five record. Yeah, I think relative to the talent on their roster, this is his best job. I don't know how close it is. Because uh, if we want to use that metric, his worst job, I think, was 2021 uh, when they had all of that talent and went 7-5. and five. And <laughs> this year, they're, in our estimation, going to finish just one win short of the season where they had their most talented roster ever. <laughs> which is a testament to how awful that year was for Matt Campbell and also how uh, remarkable this season has been uh, for Iowa State. Even in their losses, they've been pretty competitive for the most part. They've had a few exceptions, and they lost a game they shouldn't have early in the year uh, to Ohio. But all in all, it's been a 
surprisingly strong-ish year for Iowa State. I think it particularly feels strong because I think we expected nothing from them. Yeah, I, I expected them to be really bad this year, but Connor, you just started the schedule, so... Yeah, so they began the year with a unconvincing win against Northern Iowa, 30-9, to and then they dropped two consecutive non-conference games, one to Iowa, 20-13, to and they lost on the road at Ohio, 10-7, to in a head-scratcher, with also, I believe, a controversial field goal, if yep. I remember correctly. Yep, the controversial yeah. field goal. They went on to beat Oklahoma State, 34-27, then they got blown out at Oklahoma, 50-20. to But then they won a three-game win streak, beating, granted, a not very good slate of teams, but still three straight wins with two on the road. Uh, TCU at home, 27-14. to Then they went to Cincinnati, and they won that 30-10. to Then they beat Baylor at Baylor, 30-18. to Lost to KU at home, 28-21. Uh, they blew out BYU on the road, 45-13. And then they held pretty strong with Texas at home. That game was a little closer than the final score indicated, especially in the first half, but they ended up losing 26-16. to So uh, only one game left for them, uh, of course, with it being the last week of the regular season. Um, but they've had, a, again, a very surprising year. Yeah. So they have a 6-5 and five record, 5-3 five and three in conference record, which I think is good for... Fifth. Yeah, I, I think that's about right. In theory, if they were to beat us, I do think there's like a less than one percent chance that if everything goes right, they could go to Arlington. they could go to Arlington. Uh, it is highly unlikely, but it's not out of the question at yeah. least. Yeah, uh, they have thirteen hundred and one rushing yards, three point eight per attempt. Twenty five hundred and nine passing yards, seven point six three per attempt. 17 touchdowns to 8 picks, 13 rushing touchdowns, excuse me, averaging 5.7 yards per play with a third down percentage of 37.66. So you see the, those numbers, specifically the rushing and passing numbers, and you think, wow, this must be like a really pass-happy team. We'll talk about that in the in the actual scouting report, but Connor, you wrap up with the last number, the last bit of stats here. Now, their defensive third down percentage is 33.12%, which is very good. And then their defensive yards per play is 5 yards per play, plus 10 in turnover differential, 21 sacks on the year. And then their red zone scoring defense, they're giving up touchdowns just 55% of the time and scores 76% of the time. And then on offense, uh, they're scoring 61% of the time, or scoring 94% of the time and getting touchdowns 61% of the time. Uh, so scoring a lot, not getting in the end zone as much as you'd like to, though. Uh, but that defense continues to be really, really strong uh, for Iowa State. That's really been their calling card for the most part since uh, Matt Campbell's been up in Ames. Is they've always had really strong defenses. Yeah, just ask the like what was it ten to nine game last year? That game sucked. <laughs> that was an awful game. <laughs> But before we get into the actual scouting report, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to this episode of the Aggieville Alleycats. If you are enjoying the episode, please be sure to leave a like or leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere else you get your podcasts. It really helps put the show out there. It also makes us smile a little bit, but... 
going straight in to the scouting report, starting with the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they moved up Nathaniel Schauhaus. Uh I just butchered that. <laughs> I think they were on the broadcast in the Texas game, they were calling him Shieldhouse. Shieldhouse. They ended up moving him up, who was their receivers coach. Really, really good receivers coach. Uh, you can definitely tell he wants to be one of the newer like minds of offensive coordinators in the in the same vein of like Andy Katelnicki, Colin Klein, so like the younger guys. He'll throw a lot of looks at you that look just plain weird. I'm thinking of one time during the TCU game where they had like three wingbacks, two were on the same side. <laughs> I don't know how it worked, but it did. But alongside this, he uses a lot of really common modern tricks that most young OCs have, especially in the running game. Yes, that's an elaborate way of saying they run GT counter, but sometimes they run it with a guard and a tight end instead of a guard and a tackle. But here's the, the interesting thing. Their yards would not tell the full story of what their run-pass splits are because it is 50-50. They run and pass at the same rate of one another, and yet one of them has double the amount of yards. <laughs> so, <laughs> but in the running game, it's a lot of zone, counter, meant to get easy looks. 28.2% uh, 28 of the time on the passing game, they're running play action. Only 8% of the time, they're running screens. And motion's a pretty big part of the game plan, mostly as coverage indicators. Uh, they don't use motion the same way that, say, like Andy Katelniki does. But that leads us directly into the players, including, I think, the biggest surprise of the year, at least to me, and that's a redshirt freshman at quarterback, Rocco Becht. Yeah, he really came out of nowhere, um, especially given the uh, difficult situation that he was thrust into. Uh, I think a lot of people, once they saw the Hunter Deckers was... Uh, gone forever, forever. Uh, I think that maybe some people assume that it was going to be their true freshman four star quarterback JJ Cole who uh, was thrust into the starting job earlier than maybe he deserved but instead it went to Rocco Becht who I was not aware of before this year um, but he's been really quality uh, shockingly even uh, been good uh, the circumstances have been weird Um for him, he really just had the summer to prepare. Uh, when he went through a lot of the off season with uh, the idea that he was going to be a backup again to Hunter Deckers, uh, but instead here we are with Rocco Becht. Uh, but despite his youth, he's only a redshirt freshman. Um, he's very poised uh, in the pocket. He he's not going to panic at the first sign of trouble, and he will let plays develop. Uh, he's a, a really intriguing quarterback in in that sense. Uh, he doesn't go deep very often. Um, he mostly is going to be working short stuff over the middle. Uh, that's where the plurality of his targets are. Generally speaking, short stuff is going to be what he's most comfortable with. He's a young quarterback, so I'm not going to really hold that against him. That The experience to feel more confident going downfield more often is something that's just going to come with time. Like he's only had nine attempts uh, deep down the middle uh, this year, but he's completed five of them and gotten four touchdowns out of it. So make of that what you will. Uh, he's got a lot of big time throws, 
this season, but he also has a lot of turnover-worthy plays. So there's give and take there. But he generally is... I mean, he's got over 100 attempts within 10 yards in between the numbers. Uh, that, that says a lot, I think, about uh, Rocco Beck. But it also says a lot about Nathan Shieldhouse and how he's willing to tailor the offense to make sure his redshirt freshman quarterback is more comfortable. And uh, he still does work intermediate center as well. Uh, he actually does pretty well there. He has thrown two picks, but he has three touchdowns and has a PFF grade of 89 in that area of the field. And generally is pretty quality there as well. Uh, there's a lot to like about what Rocco Becht has been doing this year. But despite all of that, his biggest concern this year is probably uh, accuracy. He's not really pinpoint, and his arm isn't great enough to compensate for not being the most accurate guy in the world. Uh, he is pretty solid in the short middle. Uh, he's completing 75% of his passes there, but it'd be kind of concerning if he wasn't com- completing a high percentage of his passes. Once he gets beyond 10 yards, it gets pretty iffy. Um, but all in all, he's fairly decent, uh, but the accuracy could need some work, especially on anything more than very than a very simple throw. Uh, it's, it's just been very inconsistent for him this year. Yeah. But despite all the, the accuracy concerns, he's generally been like probably one of the most surprising players of the year. But then you move into their two running backs, which is Eli Sanders and Cartavius and Norton. Starting off with Eli Sanders, he originally started as the running back two behind Norton. He sort of elevated above him. Uh, PFF likes him just fine, 75.8 and then a 76.7 in the running game. He's literally 0.4 points above average in the passing game. He just His biggest thing is we're so used to having or seeing Iowa State running backs just have a lot of get up and go and having a lot of juice to their game. You know, you're coming off of the years of David Montgomery, uh, Brees Hall, even Jarrell Brock to an extent. Though Brock was probably the lesser, the the least of those three, and Eli Sanders just doesn't doesn't have that same get up and go, uh, and he doesn't have it in terms of speed. He doesn't have it in terms of agility. What he does do is he finishes runs really well. He doesn't shy away from contact, and I don't want to make I don't want to make it out like he's slow. He just doesn't have that same gear that we're used to seeing from Iowa State running backs, and where his rushing attempts sort of go tell you a lot of about his game he's running a lot to both edges or he's going right to the left of the center so a lot of this running game is based off of that zone and counter scheme that we're so used to seeing a bunch of college offenses implement ever since Lincoln Riley ruined offense for everyone in the country yes I'm I'm never going to stop being upset about GT counter being a common play call but he also, Sanders does not have any fumbles on the year, and he does have a total of 17 missed tackles forced. So he's doing well. It's just that he's not the same home run hitter that you really are used to seeing from these Iowa State teams. And if that applies to Eli Sanders, it applies just as much to Cartavius Norton. Um, he grades out pretty similarly except for he's a slightly better runner at 80.1 and a worse pass catcher at a flat 40. 
Uh, his snap counts have been going down and down. Uh, recently saw a, re- a resurgence after reaching a total of four snaps against Oklahoma. Uh, 5'11", 225, kind of fits that prototypical like more powerful running back. But he only has 343 yards on the year, averaging 3.9 per attempt. He has 13 runs of 10 or plus yards. He is forcing missed tackles at a very high rate, and a lot of that is a mixture of being all right in terms of short area quickness and having pretty solid contact balance. But again, it just really comes down to not having that home run hitting ability that you really want from your running backs. So their running game is not good. <laughs> that's that's the way that I would describe it. Is uh, it's it's just not good. And a lot of that just kind of unfortunately does fall on the running backs, plus a little bit on the offensive line, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, Connor, I'm guessing you would like the first two receivers here? Yeah, so we'll start with Jalen Knoll. Uh, he's an older guy at this point, former K-State target. He's from the Kansas City area. Uh, a lot of um, Iowa State players uh, are familiar names for people that follow K-State recruiting. Because a lot of their contributors right now are guys that Iowa State was getting over us uh, in that kind of three-year stretch where it just seemed like they had our number on the recruiting trail. And Jalen Knoll is one of those guys. Uh, he's been a contributor for a few years now, uh, and he's probably the fastest guy on the team and their most lethal offensive weapon. Uh, his hands are fairly consistent, and he's fast enough with decent route running that he is kind of a problem. And he uh, is getting 34% of his targets uh, short center. Again, that's where Rocco Beck likes to work. He's caught 21 of those 27 targets as well. Uh, But he's also been able to stretch out the field a little bit. He's been targeted six times uh, deep center and caught three of those and has two touchdowns from that. Uh, And he only has two drops on the year. And they both came short center, so a lot of that's probably just target volume. You're eventually going to have some drops if your name isn't Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, especially considering he still has five contested catches on the exact same location. Yeah, so a lot of that is just target volume in that one location. So you're just going to see a little bit more of everything there. But uh, he's another receiver that, I mean, we see it pretty commonly, uh, especially with a younger quarterback, work the middle of the field. So he's going to be in the middle of the field a lot. Uh, and he works through contact pretty well, too. Uh, he's grown into a pretty good wide receiver after, for the first couple of years, being a little bit more of a gadget guy and a special teams guy. A uh, little light on the special teams because he had more miscues than uh, actual good moments for a I while there. special teams moment. Yes, but <laughs> uh, he has been fairly solid. Uh, this year again getting most of his targets within 10 yards and ahead of the line of scrimmage uh, but he doesn't do much in the intermediate only eight targets in the uh, 10 19 yard range he's been targeted 12 times uh, 20 plus yards so he's either going short or deep generally speaking although he does do some work behind the line of scrimmage as well just not very efficient work yeah but then you have his i'd Technically, you could call him a running mate. You could not. It just depends on how you feel about it. Yeah. Jaden Higgins, number nine, six four two ten. 210. Uh, so they tried to replace some of the size they lost uh, with Xavier Hutchinson uh, going to the NFL. Uh, but Higgins, he uh, 
it kind of fits in the open field a little bit more than everyone else, which is a little weird given the abilities of Jalen Knoll, uh, or specifically the speed of Jalen Knoll. But Higgins comes in from Eastern Kentucky, and he's been very good this season. Uh, he's still getting a lot of snaps, and his grading on PFF is not has dropped only a little bit, not to the point where you'd really write home about it or anything. But he's been a good player this year. He's got really good run-after-catch ability, and uh, that's a lot of it is because of his short area quickness. Uh, again, another player that is getting over 30% of their targets uh, in the short center, uh, but he works a lot in the intermediate part of the field. Uh, he has a, a total of 24 targets in the middle of the field, whether it be left, right, or between the numbers. Uh, and he's really effective in all of those areas. Uh, he only has one drop on the entire season, and he is doing really well otherwise. Uh, he's got four touchdowns uh, this year and doesn't go deep as much as Noel, but in the intermediate, uh, you get him the ball with some space between him and some defensive backs, he can cause some problems. Uh, there's a, He's a really good receiver, Uh who will thrive with the ball in his hand. Uh, he's not somebody that you want getting much space on you. Uh, I think that Will Lee is probably the matchup for him, just mainly given the size and the fact that Will Lee has done a pretty good job this year sticking uh, to otherwise slippery receivers. Uh, but yeah, outside of his run-after-catch ability, he's a pretty decent receiver, uh, but his athletic traits, uh, they don't really shine as much as you truly think that they would, given all the good stuff that we have to say about him. Uh, but he's still a good receiver, and he's still someone that we need to account for. Yeah, especially because like, he, he just doesn't drop passes. Like he, You can stick him all you want. He's probably going to make the contested catch as well. But now we get the last part of the group here and that would be Dimitri Stanley number 14 uh, six foot 200 pounds he was here last year after a four-year stint at Colorado and he's pretty much the same receiver as he was last year who sort of mirrors Jalen Knoll's original role where he's just kind of the I, Knoll is the true slot receiver here but Dimitri Stanley is taking the the gadget guy he has yet to take a single deep target the entire year uh and he does pretty evenly spill out the rest of his targets between intermediate center and short right uh 25 short right 25 short center 19 short left six percent intermediate right and then 12 and a half percent intermediate center there's not really much to say he's an unremarkable receiver who like you have to he, he's he's just a guy that's the best way i can really describe him he's just a guy but then you get easton dean who has started at tight end for the majority of the year he's been there for since 2020 but only got significant snaps starting last year uh 66 265 so he's a big old boy and yeah that's that's pretty much where his game begins and ends he's just a really big old boy. <laughs> Former uh, Labette County quarterback, Easton Dean. That is true. So he, he's a, another Southeast Kansas quarterback turned tight end in the Big 12, which is weird that K-State doesn't have any of them. But Yeah, yeah, that is weird. Uh, we do have a former quarterback who's receiver 
That is true. And the former Southeast Kansas quarterback who's a receiver. Um, yeah, Ty Bowman. It's so, special team. Yeah, base. so a lot of that era of uh, SEK quarterbacks uh, making their way to the Big 12. But not as quarterbacks. Not so. as quarterbacks. <laughs> One day there will be an SEK quarterback. <laughs> One day. <laughs> One day, eventually. <laughs> but, yeah, Easton Dean, he's just another guy who's going to take short center reps and he's just going to use his size. He's basically going to post player you. He's going to try and box you out. And that's also why he's a pretty all right run blocker because he, he knows how to be a post player. <laughs> that's the best way I can describe him is post player. Uh, now we can move on to the offensive line who's giving up pressures on 31.3% of snaps. So nearly a third of snaps are giving up pressure. Uh, but would you like to take the right or left side of the line? Uh, I'll take the left side here. Right. Uh, we'll start with number 75, James Neal. Uh, really big left tackle at six foot six, 330 pounds. PFF, not really a huge fan of him. He's only graded above average three times this entire year, and they've not been very far above average with uh, his highest grade on the year overall only being a 63.2. Uh, but in the run game, he's a very weird player because uh, he, uh, unlike most players who don't like being attacked low for leverage reasons, he really dislikes being attacked at his shoulders because he doesn't have very good balance. Uh, he, when he's contacted, does not keep his balance. Uh, and also, it comes with the size. His change of direction is not great either. So if he has to hop off of his guide to uh, get to another man to block, uh, he's not going to get there. <laughs> now you have two people open on the rush. Yeah. So James Neal, uh, he's going to be draft eligible here pretty soon. Uh, in his really first season, though, uh, playing for as a starter for Iowa State. Uh, but he... Uh, Hasn't had a great season. Gotten better as it's gone. Fairly decent pass blocker, or at least spotty. Uh, but run blocking is just not his game. Yeah. So. Plus, he's holding a lot. Four penalties. Yeah, four penalties on the year. A lot of holding. Yep. And you get his his battery mate on the offensive line. Yep. You have uh, Jared Hufford next. Six foot five, three hundred twenty-five. Another big guy. And this year he's. Uh, in his third year starting, uh, this was graded out as his best season by a little bit. Uh, he's a 66.2 grade. Uh, and another good pass blocker, 76.8 on the season. But his run blocking is just about average at 61.3. Uh, another lineman that kind of had a lull um, in the middle of the year, but has gotten a little better as of late. He had his best game against BYU, or at least his best graded game uh, against BYU. But he's not super remarkable as a guard he's gotten snaps in four seasons straight and he's been a starter for three years but there's just not a ton to write home about with uh jared hufford he's a fine offensive lineman but he's not a phenomenal offensive lineman but he's solid enough that he definitely has earned a starting spot but he's not invulnerable any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, average Big 12 guard. Yeah. And that takes us to the center, uh, Jim Boniface, 
Six foot five, three hundred and ten pounds. This is his first season as a starter for Iowa State as well. Uh, PFF grades him as a little below average at a fifty-seven point eight. Uh, not a very good pass blocker at fifty-four point four, and his run blocking is a little better at fifty-six point eight. But all in all, he is just kind of fine. Had his worst game of the year against Texas. I don't blame him. Yeah, I I'm not gonna really hold that against him. Uh, yeah, 23 pass blocking grade. I get it, man. <laughs> I, I understand. It happens to the best of us. Uh, but yeah, he's pretty good at knowing when to get off of his combination assignment to climb to the next level. And he's also pretty good at turning his hips uh, and getting defensive linemen walled off. Uh, and pass protection, again, not incredible, but he is fine enough. Uh, but just mostly unremarkable he definitely is not really locking anyone down he he it's just kind of fine yeah that that's the best way to describe him he uh isn't getting blown up constantly but there the chance remains that he will be so yeah at all times but now we get into brendan black who's their right guard number 51 six four three fifteen sometimes you just run into players who have like really strange and really specific skill sets and like things that they can, that they do one thing really, 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 really well. Uh, Brendan black might be the best guard in the big 12 at combination blocks. And that's such a weird thing to pick to be good at, especially considering that he's bad at just about everything else. Um, there, there are two notes that I have one He's really good at combination blocks. Two, when he's in his stance, his back looks like a table. That's it. <laughs> uh, PFF does not been very kind to him. 47.4 offensive grade, 26.8 pass blocking grade, 49.6 run blocking grade. And for the second time I have ever seen, uh, we have someone who received a zero pass blocking grade. That is Brandon Black up against Texas. The last time we saw that was Troy's left guard. Um, I'll tell you that Brendan Black is a lot better than Troy's left guard. But still, not what you want to see. <laughs> and then you have the right tackle, uh, Tyler Miller, who's been starting. Uh, he started last year for Iowa State. Massive human being at 6'9", 335. Uh, he has about as much athleticism as you would think with that size. Which means it's passable. It's perfectly fine. Uh, but he just doesn't have the kick slides to get out and threaten really good edge players who go out wide. But because everyone in the Big 12 runs a 3-3-5, <laughs> except for Texas, he he doesn't have to. But PFF, this is another example of someone PFF really doesn't like. Uh, 50 PFF grade, 36 or 37.6 pass blocking, 55.4 run blocking. He's just kind of a big, lumbering right tackle who kind of coasts on that size a little bit. And, yeah, it, you can tell sometimes. <laughs> if he has to deal with blitzing linebackers, you'll notice that his worst-graded games are against teams that really like blitzing their linebackers. For example, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and KU. Each of those he finished with a sub-40, and in two of those he finished with a sub-25. <laughs> so, blitz this man. <laughs> He's not going to know what to do with it. But now we can go into their defense. It's the same 3-3-5 we're used to. 
the three high safety shell really likes rotating the safeties up and down, make life more difficult for the rest of the players uh, on the offense. I mean, uh, they seem to have shifted a little bit more towards zone coverages with a lot of coverage rotations this year. But even then, they have some man elements. I'd say it's a slight preference for zone. I don't think it's ridiculous or anything. But, Connor, you have their interior defensive lineman. Yeah, so we'll start with J.R. Singleton. He's six foot two, 300 pounds. Pretty standard off, uh, defensive lineman size. Uh, he uh, has played for four years, but really started to get notable snaps three years ago. Uh, where he, for some reason, had a 94.8 coverage grade. But he uh, this season, though, he's um, playing more than he ever has, uh, and he's also having his best season, uh, at least according to PFF. Uh, 19 pressures on the year for him with three sacks, uh, 14 hurries, two quarterback hits, uh, graded out as a 70 uh, overall defensive grade. So that says he's pretty much an above-average defensive lineman. Uh, run defense is pretty good, and his pass rush is also pretty good. Both of those grades are around 70. Tackling, I, I never know what to make of PFF's tackle grades because his individual games are almost all good except for two games that were bad. So I'm not sure why his actual grade for the season is so low. So take that with a grain of salt. But Singleton, he's in a weird habit of being in a neutral space when pass rushing where he wants to long arm people but he wants to get close to people to do that those, that's not how that works yeah those things that those things don't really go together so why are you long arming yeah. people as a nose tackle <laughs> yeah that, that doesn't make a lot of sense uh, but in the running game he's not the easiest person to move but he's not really a game wrecker either at the position uh, his job is mostly just to close down the center position and make sure that nothing is easily given up in the middle. And he's pretty solid at that job, all things considered. You know, he's not too bad at it. Uh, just not this phenom, really. Yeah. He's but, not a Uwazarike from a few years ago. Right. And that takes us into our next guy, uh, which is Dominique Orange. Another name that is probably familiar for people that follow K-State recruiting pretty closely. Uh, he's another guy from Kansas City, from Missouri, I believe, that K-State chased for a bit. Uh, former four-star uh, on the defensive interior. Uh, he's a pretty big guy, 6'4", 335. Uh, he doesn't have the same power, though, as Singleton, uh, but he's still a slightly better pass rusher, um, at least in terms of his technique. Uh, and he mostly does that with the with a slow react push and pull move uh, that most centers will really struggle with. But all in all, he's had a pretty good season this year, especially for a player on the younger side. Seventy three point one overall grade defensively, uh, and his run defense grade seventy three point eight, and then a pass rush grade of sixty seven point nine. So he's been pretty good this year. Uh, slightly better uh, than a singleton. So it's a, a pretty nice job this season for uh, uh, for Dominique Orange. But again, not an absolute world beater, but he is pretty big. So he that, there's that at least to take into account. Yeah, he also has yet to record a sack, but has more pressures than singleton. <laughs> yeah, which is a little strange. Yeah, yeah. But... Such is the life of a nose tackle. But now we can get into their edge 
players edge in massive quotation marks because they're 335 defensive ends. Starting with Joey Peterson, number 52, 6'4, 255 guy. Played a little bit last year for Iowa State. And like we said, we use the term edge very loosely. Uh, he does have a really pretty move where he literally looks like he's Euro stepping through the defensive line. So he does have that really good short area quickness. A lot of his games based on the speed. Uh, pretty close to always, he's almost always the first guy off the ball. And he has the speed to make offensive linemen miss with their hands or just not get in the way as quickly as they need to. So he's kind of the, the athletic. He, his game reminds me a lot of Will McDonald. He's not Will McDonald. But his game reminds me a lot of it where he always was just the first guy off the ball. And he would just scare the piss out of you every single time that you went for him. Uh, but he's been doing all right this year. Uh, 69.3 total PFF grade, 73.2 run defense, and then a 58.5 pass rushing grade. Uh, 19 total pressures on the year, 3 sacks, 2 hits, 14 total hurries. So, like I said, a lot of his game is based on speed. So if you happen to be faster than him or you just react quicker or he mistimes the snap, he's not going to be like the deadliest guy in the world. But he's definitely someone that you have to consider every single... Like, you have to know where he is, and you have to start using hard counts so he doesn't start sinking up the snap. Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting that his three sacks this year, those have both come in the last two weeks. Yeah. He had two sacks against a very good Texas team. Yeah. So he is in a bit of a groove right now. Yeah. But now you go into the other edge, quote-unquote, uh, Tyre Anayadim. Uh, number 11, 6'4", 295, again, he's a defensive end. Uh, he's the bigger, more powerful counterpart to Peterson. Uh, his go-to move is a long arm that turns itself into a bull rush, and it's pretty good when he gets his true opportunities to go outside. When he gets his true opportunities to go outside is a five technique, so not happening very often. But PFF likes him just fine, uh, 76.5 total grade, 83.7 run defense, and then a 63 pass rushing grade. 21 total pressures on the year. Two sacks, three hits, 16 hurries, including four hurries against a really, really good Texas offensive line. And then also three hurries each against Oklahoma State and TCU, who have, well, TCU has like top half of the conference offensive line. So Anayadim is a pretty, I'm butchering that. Tyler, he's he's good. He's a really solid uh, 3-3-5 defensive end with enough power to perfectly complement Peterson on the other side of him. So again, you get another, just like last week with KU, you sort of had a thunder and lightning combination with their edge players. You get the same thing here, except for they are significantly better than any of KU's edge rushers. But now you go into the linebackers. Yeah, we'll start with Gary Vaughn, number 32. A little bit on the short side. 5'11", 235. Uh, but in the running game, though, he's solid enough at filling his gap still. Uh, uh, if he if he's asked to play outside of his gap, it's not always great for him, though. Um, a lot of it does come down to his pursuit angles, uh, uh, which don't always put him in a very great position. But he's a fairly decent tackler on the tape. And he's also been at Iowa State since 2019. Uh, he got eight snaps in 2019 so that barely counts but uh, he's been getting notable snaps since 2020 so he's very experienced uh, at linebacker um, having a bit of a down season according to pff 
Uh, he's only got a 54.9 overall grade this year. Uh, none of his grades are above 60, but they're all above 50. So they're all just in that a little below average category. Uh, only three pressures on the year as well, but he does have 25 tackles. But just not having a, a year that like the one he had last season. Last season he had a pretty good year. Uh, but he's a decent enough tackler. He's still fairly solid as a linebacker, just having a, not the best possible year this year. Yeah. And then that brings us to Will McLaughlin, six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds. I believe we recruited him yeah, as we well. Did. Yeah, Will McLaughlin, not to be confused with Will McDonald, who was their edge rusher last year. Yeah, yeah uh, McLaughlin did sound familiar. Uh, but he is uh, pretty aggressive as a linebacker. He's always looking to backdoor uh, against running plays and get a tackle for loss. Uh, his athleticism isn't phenomenal, but it's not bad. Uh, and as an open field tackler, though, not so great. Uh, he wants to kind of get the tackle like and get the big hit as opposed to wait for some support to help with making the tackle in the open field. So if we throw swing passes against him, uh, if we can just make him miss, that should be a guaranteed like 10 yards every single time. Because he he doesn't really give much thought to what happens if he does miss. He's just really impatient. That's the... Sometimes you get players that you can just sum up their game in one word. Impatient. That's Will McLaughlin to a T. He just doesn't have the patience to really consistently play off-ball linebacker. But weirdly enough, he does kind of play off-ball linebacker like an edge player, despite the fact that he very rarely lines up at edge. But now you go into their corner room, which in my opinion is their best room uh, on the team, starting with Miles Purchase, simply because he leads in snaps, not because he's the better of the two corners. (laughs) Uh, 5'11", 205 guy, number 5. PFF really likes him. 74.7 grade, 70.7 run defense, and then a 74.1 coverage grade. So they consider him to be pretty above average. Uh, he's not very good at getting off of his blocks, which if you're if that's the first thing that you say when you think about a corner, you're like, wow, you're really reaching. I am. But <laughs> what he is pretty good at is play, he plays really physical as a brand of corner in coverage. He's just going to be in your face and grabbing on you as long as he is allowed to without being flagged. He just really wants to be in your face, that sort of bump and run corner that he just doesn't let you breathe. And that sort of is reflected in his reception percentage, only 57.4. Two touchdowns allowed, no picks, but five pass breakups. And of course, his flags come in spurts. He has five on the year, but yeah, he you'll, you'll see him probably pick up another one this week. Uh, he just plays a really f- hyper-physical brand of corner where he, like I said, wants to get in your face, grab on you, and just not let you breathe. That's Miles' purchase. But now you have TJ Tampa, who is the one player on this team who is ranked uh, below 100 on most draft positional boards. I think the... The aggregate I've seen is he's somewhere in the 50s, 60 range, like low 50s, like or uh, high 50s, low 60s. And he's really good. He's probably like the second best corner in the the Big 12. He's 6'2", 200, number two. Uh, 
PFF hates his tackling for some reason, but loves his coverage. 83.9 coverage grade, 80.6 total defensive grade. Uh, he's considered by some to be a top 50 player in this draft, with some people ranking him above Josh Newton. They're wrong, but <laughs> he's a really amazing player who just doesn't have any weaknesses. And his best ability is his instincts, especially in zone coverage. He just understands the position really well and can bait just about whatever he wants because he understands the QB's thought process while still understanding his his coverage rules. And that's not dissing his athleticism because he's a pretty good athlete and uses that to his advantage. And a lot of this is considering like his shift from outside uh, to outside corner from safety. It's amazing. Like really, he's only giving up uh, 50% of the time he's giving up the reception, has two picks, six total pass breakups on the year. He did have a little bit of a rougher game up against Texas and, you know, A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy. That's a tough draw for just about anyone. But when he's facing up against non-superhumans, he's had a pretty good year. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him go as like a mid-second round corner. I, I will say... People who have him ranked above Josh Newton really need to pump the brakes, uh, mostly because they have completely different skill sets, but Josh Newton is still better. <laughs> but now we can get into their three safeties, which always start in three high, which, Connor, you know I love so much. Yeah, so these three safeties, uh, I like really all of them, uh, but we'll start with Bo Freeler. He's six foot two, 220 pounds. Uh, he generally is playing middle field safety, uh, so he's the most versatile in terms of his coverage assignments. Um, and he buzzes down in the middle zones pretty often, though. Uh, he's also pretty good at reading out the play. And he has a really quick trigger when he's in zone coverage. He's very good at reading eyes. And he's not going to let himself be fooled very easily. And another thing with Freeler, he's very experienced. Uh, he's, I think, a true junior but he's been playing since he was a freshman, I believe, and uh, has been starting the last two seasons. PFF loves him. They love his tackling especially, uh, and I get why. Uh, Bo Freeler's a very good safety. Uh, he's got 58 tackles on the year and also two sacks, uh, but I, I like him a lot. Uh, he gives up a reception percentage of just 53.3%, uh, so six... 16 catches on 30 targets against him. Uh, that's really good, especially for a safety. So the he, he's a dangerous player. This Iowa State secondary is really good. Yeah, three um, picks and three pass breakups as well. Yeah, there's a lot to like there with Bo Freeler. Uh, that takes us next to Jeremiah Cooper at six foot 185. Uh, when he's about to tackle somebody, uh, he does a weird little hop that actually ends up knocking him out of position more often than not. Which is just kind of funny. Yeah, it's just funny. Like, yeah. the, the rest of his game's fine. <laughs> yeah, other than that, he's a pretty good safety. Uh, he is is pretty quality. Really good overall grade. Uh, his coverage grade particularly is quite good. Again, another bad coverage grade against Texas, but Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, there's... So much, there's only so much you can do in those situations. So, uh, struggles there for Jeremiah Cooper, but again, another great reception percentage, only giving up 
receptions 51.2% of the time. He also has five interceptions this year with six pass breakups. Uh, so really, really good stuff from Jeremiah Cooper. Also only been penalized once uh, this entire year, uh, but he, he's been quite good uh, at, overall this season as Jeremiah Cooper. And that takes us to our last safety, Malik Verdon. Uh, six foot four, two twenty five. So a lot bigger, uh, that's or the biggest. That's a big old boy to be playing safety. Yeah, yeah he he's very big, uh, uh, but he's w- sometimes way too eager to get involved in the running game, uh, which he wants to play like a linebacker, which tracks. He's six four, two twenty five. He he's built like a linebacker, uh, but he's not built enough to eat blocks the way that he thinks he can. Uh, but his ability to get downhill is very impressive. Uh, he is just a very up and down athlete rather than a left and right one, if that makes sense. He's much better getting downhill uh, as opposed to moving laterally. Uh, and then on his tackles, he's really flying in. Uh, that's just the type of player he is. He wants to get there in the run defense very quickly. Uh, but again, he's still really quality first year starting for iowa state uh actually had a good grade against texas good for good for him i guess somebody had to but <laughs> someone had yeah. to get that draw yeah and then another guy with a really good reception percentage just a 50 percent uh reception percentage allowed he has two interceptions and four pass breakups this season as well as well as a defensive touchdown uh at one point as well i believe it was a fumble recovery um uh, but another really quality safety this is a really good defensive backfield uh for iowa state even though uh some of their safeties do have uh, a few flaws uh, it's a very talented room top to bottom yeah now we can start talking about the stories to watch going into this game first and foremost at least to me k-state is coming off of a dog fight against ku in another rivalry game so, can K-State avoid coming out flat in the second rivalry game? Um, for me, the question is more so, can we avoid coming out flat after a good first drive script? Yeah. Because uh, uh, we, did, we were just fine on our first drive, but then we really just stalled out for a while. And that's going to be the thing to avoid. And I'm not convinced that we will. Uh, I, I will wait to see if we actually do especially if it's as cold as it's going to be uh it's probably going to be tough to get really consistent offense uh unless everything just goes perfectly but i'm uh cautiously optimistic still even though this is a really good iowa state defense uh i'm hopeful at the very least so we'll we'll have to wait and see though yeah but that takes us into the next story to watch uh which is that iowa state's defense has been ranged from good to great this entire season. So how does Colin Klein uh, plan to attack Iowa State's defense? I'm going to tell you something right now. Probably shouldn't aim to attack the safeties. I don't think that's a winning formula. But I, I do think the one area where I don't think Iowa State has a like any one area where they're particularly weak but I do think that this is another defense that we can run on, especially if we start running at Will, I about called him Will McDonald, uh, Will McLaughlin, because of his overaggression. If we're willing to run, God help me, GT counter in his, like, in his way or sweeps towards his direction, I think he's going to suck himself out of the play. 
and then he's that'll be a good gain for us. I don't think that I don't think Iowa State's defense is conducive to giving up big plays. So I think that the game plan has to be a sort of sort of like what KU did against us, where you have to grind the ball and play keep away. Though it's not because I'm scared of Iowa State's offense. I just think that's the way that you beat their defense. Yeah, um, I, I think I agree. Uh, I, I definitely don't think that an all-out assault on the secondary is the best choice uh, for, for this matchup. But I do think that there is an opportunity to uh, soften the defense a little bit by maybe working intermediate uh, over the middle. And I, I think that maybe we want to try and get Jace Brown uh, to some stuff over the middle uh, and wait for him to be able to draw the safeties up before we go over the top. Because uh, I'm not confident that we're going to be able to go over the top much, if at all, this game. But I, I do think that the running game should be an effective weapon, especially given uh, the potential for precipitation at this game. So uh, the running game may already be, just because of the elements, a superior option. But even schematically, it may be the better one. Yeah. And especially considering the weather, and despite the percentages... Iowa State can get a bit pass-happy, and does Cl- so does Klanderman opt to play them like a true 50-50 running team, or does he try to play them a bit more like the passing team where their offensive strength lies, especially if it's going to be snowing or raining? I think that we at least come out waiting to see if they are going to be pass-happy, because I think Shieldhouse is a crafty offensive coordinator. I think if he knows what he's doing and knowing that our run defense has been pretty good for the most part this year, I think that he would want to try and attack uh, our over-aggressive tendencies first. And I think that that could result in him trying to get over the top of our defensive backs early and often. So I think that we'll need to be careful with that. Uh, Even though they are a 50-50 run pass team, the run game's just been nowhere near as effective for them. So that's something that we can adjust to if the time comes. But we've got a really good defensive front. We've got some really good run-stopping linebackers right now. Uh, let the defensive backs do work on the back end and try to avoid uh, f- getting too overly aggressive uh, early in the game. Yeah. I think that's going to be the key is that even if they do come out pass-happy, it's just not going to be like, not going to be over-aggressive especially because Rocco Becht is surprisingly poised for his young age, I don't think over-aggression is the way to beat Iowa State. I think the way to beat this team is to more or less sit back and just kind of let them beat themselves. Because I don't think that this team has the talent to just out-talent K-State. A lot of things have to go right in order for them to do that. But that being said, because we've mentioned it, I think every game for the past entire season uh, there is a world where k-state loses this game and that world exists if they just simply don't make mistakes if iowa state is able to play a clean game and they're able to play keep away with their offense which i doubt their ability to do that is the formula for iowa state leaving bill snyder family stadium with a victory yeah i i think i agree um because k-state's definitely gonna have the advantage uh, coming into this one, not just from a talent perspective, but also just being at home, uh, it being senior day. So a lot of the seniors want to go out on a high note. 
there, there's a lot trending in K-State's favor for this game, uh, although the potential for a rivalry letdown is there. Uh, we hopefully can still get prepared for this game uh, as we normally would, and understand this is also a rivalry game. But it's, it's going to be interesting, especially if it does snow. That's going to add an unusual element, uh, especially for K-State, because we've not really had to play in snow particularly often. I don't think anyone on our roster has, uh, at least not since they've been in K-State. So uh, that's something to consider. Although Kleiman may have some experience with it, uh, given his time in the FCS. Yeah. So in terms of offensive and defensive MVPs, my picks are going to be the offensive line and then Marquis Siegel. I'm going with Will Howard and Austin Moore. In terms of score projections, I'm going to project a uncomfortable but fine enough 28-20 to 20 Cats victory. I'm going K-State 31, Iowa State 17. You have any final thoughts? Uh, no, I don't. It's Farmageddon week, baby. It's been a tame Farmageddon week, especially after, well, the previous week. <laughs> yeah, it's been oddly quiet for Farmageddon. Uh, but we'll see if maybe as the game approaches if... Uh, some of the antics increase. Yeah. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville Cats, and you can email us at AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in our Twitter and podcast bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.